interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Are you excited for Halloween? Oh, yeah. It's my favorite. Well, the, the whole month of October is my favorite just because I have the perfect excuse with my wife to watch a horror movie every night. And have you been keeping that tradition up? Pretty much. I, I might have missed maybe one or two nights, but I've made up with it, made up for it by watching two probably the following day. So have you like watched like like the is there like a worst one you've watched or the best one you've watched yet or do you save that towards uh, like Halloween night or something? Um, I mean, there's been a few stinkers um, that I've watched, but uh, most of the ones that I've been watching are the ones that I've been recommending each day on my Instagram. Uh, each day I do. Uh, part of hashtag 31 days of Halloween. I recommend a VHS that I own or Blu-ray or 4k. And, uh, I talk about my, uh, personal, uh, journey with that film, my relationship with it. Just yesterday, I, I, I believe I sent you a text picture of that house of a thousand corpus, corpses VHS that I found. I liked um, it. That was, it was a cool artwork. It's, uh, as I've, found out uh it's actually custom um the vhs is legit and the casing is taken from another film but somebody created a authentic looking vhs that looks like it came from the late 80s early 90s it has a real cool retro feel but it's like aaa video and i like googled it and then there's like some guy that makes custom one so somebody tried to sell that to uh, uh, a local bookstore that I go to to get some of my VHS stuff and uh, um, yeah and it's it's just a, a custom made one but I just thought it was so cool looking that I had to get it so I recommended that and talked about uh, meeting Rob Zombie at a uh, Hastings Entertainment in Denton Texas <laughs> when I was 13 years old and he was there signing copies of House of a Thousand Corpses CDs with his wife, Sherry Moon Zombie. And I waited in line for two hours just to ask him because that same year, a couple of months later, uh, Freddy vs. Jason was coming out. And so I just wanted to know what he, who he thought would win in that fight. That's great. <laughs> what did he say? He said Jason, so he wasn't wrong. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, Hastings, man. I know Hastings and Rob yep. Zombie. Man, you were how old were you when that happened? I was 13. Oh, my God. I was in college, late college. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, just leaving middle school. Oh, my goodness. Preston. <laughs> well, House but of I a had Thousand good taste, obviously. No, you did. You did. At 13, I, I, I like, I mean, I remember watching House of a Thousand Corpses opening night in the theater after like a two year uh, wait 
for it to get on film. And I saw it at midnight with a crazy audience in Kansas City, and it was just everybody loved it. Motherfucker got blood on my best clown shoes, and everybody clapped and everything. It was so good. Uh, hell yeah, hell yeah. It is Halloween. It is Halloween week basically uh yep. coming up very soon and it is friday meaning it's the friday before halloween which i think is might be even scarier because it's friday not friday the 13th but friday october 25th we're going to be talking about american werewolf in london on the podcast later on it's our main feature you know the john landis original that kind of uh they really paved the way for werewolves in cinema in 1981. I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, we have a bloody question. We have bloody recommendations. But first, bloody bits of news. Let's start out with a 4K Blu-ray release announcement. Uh, it Chapter 2 is coming out on 4K Blu-ray DVD uh on december 10th uh and on digital uh, november 19th and i'm curious yeah it's gonna come you know all of it's gonna have dolby vision and hdr 10 you know it's gonna look great i imagine it's probably gonna sound amazing as well hopefully with that dolby atmos sound it really encapsulates all the scary sounds because it looks like there's a lot of height and atmospheric sounds in that movie so i hope for the best with that but let's get to the bonus features of this movie because we've heard there's going to be like there could be like a five hour cut of this movie it seems crazy uh preston looking at your press release do you think that's on there or do you think i think it's kind of going to be just like you know a few epk five minute ordeals i think it's going to be epk stuff um yeah that that cut will not come until later because they're going to use any opportunity they can get to put it out again and make more money because they've been doing that with uh, different steelbooks editions of it. Like uh, I got the first steelbook of the first chapter when it first came out just because I thought it looked so incredible and I love that movie. Um, and then they just released it again, which also looks good, but I didn't get that one and they're going to do it with this one. Uh, as well um and uh yeah it just looks like there's there's like pennywise lives again the meeting of the losers club and finding the deadlights and uh chapter one stuff chapter two stuff but a commentary with andy muschietti and and that's that's it so i i don't think those are going to be any like incredibly long um super elaborate it's just going to be pretty studio manufactured type of stuff and it's going to be pretty tight yeah i would imagine what i expect yeah i'm guessing like you know maybe 55 to 65 minutes worth of bonus materials here pennywise lives again i guess you know focus on the character and the actor playing him the meaning of the losers club what i would imagine all the at the adult actors getting together finding the deadlights i would imagine set in visual effects and then the Probably. summers, chapter one, summers, chapter two, will focus on the kids and the adults again. And then the commentary, I listened to the commentary on the first one, if I remember correctly, and I remember it being very dry and bland. When that sounds I, about right. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, why not get Bill Hader to do commentary track? I mean, I feel like that would be unbelievably good. <laughs> yeah, he would be telling jokes the entire time. Like, that was the, as I've said before, like, his whole press experience was just amazing to me 
him just cracking jokes and just poking fun at Andy Muschietti for being who he is, which is a very like serious guy that yep. takes everything very seriously. And so that's probably what the commentary experience is like. I, I didn't watch the commentary for, or listen to the commentary for the first one, but just based off of his interviews alone, I bet it's uh, um, not probably not the most enjoyable ex- uh, commentary experience t- as opposed to like, Guillermo del Toro or something. Right, because, I mean, you know, like, Andy knows how to make a movie, but just, I can't imagine be working kind with of. somebody who's, yeah, kind of, because I, uh, I can't imagine working with somebody who's just serious and takes, you know, even, like, it serious. <laughs> and I just wish, you know, most comment, a lot of commentaries are dry uh, and kind of bland. Some are with useful or, you know, or informational and like how they made the movie. But I just, you know, when you're doing a commentary track, just have fun with it. You know, do what Trey and Parker and Matt Stone do. Get drunk during it. And you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just like those those serious filmmakers, they really try to protect their craft. Like they do not want to share their experiences of how they made it, which I understand because there's a lot of A24 movies, which I would love for them to have commentaries for, and they don't. <laughs> Excuse me. And, uh, so I can understand it from that, but at the same time, you, you know, like one of my favorite uh, most recent commentaries is from Jordan Peele doing Get Out, and I he just explains like what his thought process is behind each decision that he makes, and and on one hand that can be like spilling the beans too much, but at the uh, but it's interesting to me because I, I I love that somebody a filmmaker can do that so early on in their career after making the movie when you kind of get those commentaries uh later on that's what makes scream factory commentaries so great is because it's a lot of those movies have been out for 20 plus years and they can talk about it as honestly as possible and it's great yeah there you go it chapter 2 4k uhd Ultra high definition DVD com uh, combo pack digitally November nineteenth right before Thanksgiving and on four K Blu Ray and DVD physical copy on December tenth before the holidays so expect this to come out soon uh, and if we get more information on how long the extras are we will let you know. But until then, we will move on to another bit of news. Uh, we've talked about this before on the show. Uh, Disney Plus, or Disney Plus, the new streaming service, they want to remake uh, the craft, and uh, there's been a lot of, you know, things said about it. Mostly bad. Um, even the original actresses don't want anything to do with it. But now, since Disney Plus is coming out very soon, it is gaining steam, and a whole bunch of stuff uh, and news has come out about it. The craft, even Michelle Monaghan and David Duchovny. Oh my goodness! Just a lot of people joining this, uh, joining this cast. And I don't. I, I mean, it is still doesn't appeal to me does it to you preston um uh kind of um i mean like i've said before i love the original craft movie and uh screen factory just recently put it out and it was nice and i watched it uh this month actually um and so yeah i have uh it's a movie that i used to watch with my aunt so i have like a really tight uh relationship with it and so uh yeah of course i'm 
nervous about this one, but um, it does have an interesting filmmaker behind it. I, I, I like when um, studios just take chances on filmmakers. Like, for instance, the new Candyman is coming from somebody who has like indie roots and so does the director behind the craft um so i am uh, who is uh, zoe lister jones uh she did did a movie not too long ago called band-aid but um so that has me intrigued um but i'm just going to reiterate pretty much what i said before when we first started talking about the craft this remake is that you know i i can't really comment on it until i start like seeing like stills and trailers and clips and things like that um because uh to me i'm more excited about like what the aesthetic is going to look like what it uh, and so in the visuals because that's what made the original so unique to me and fun to me is like seeing those quick flashes of snakes and everything else and so uh i don't know these um that the young actresses they're going to be uh be a part of the coven but um i I think i recognize one of them but i i can't i can't remember what from anyway um so and they look like uh actual high school students so that's that's a plus (laughs) it's uh yeah sort of like 30 uh, year olds playing in the 90s when you had like actors in high school where they look like they're not in high school and 30 year olds yeah (laughs) So uh, good, good on them for that. Uh, they're taking that book smart approach, which you know they look like actual high school students in that. Um, so if they take that sort of route to it, which you know I'm going to take every opportunity I can get to talk about how great book smart is and how it feels like a legit high school experience. I think if they do that, and then they bring in like cool visuals, it could work. But I don't uh, think that's, that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is just uh, wishful thinking, and so I hope I hope it happens. I'm going to leave that room for it, and so I will see, as we'll say, as we often say. But um, that's just kind of where I sit at the moment. Um, do you, it's interesting that the Andrew Fleming, the guy who uh, co-wrote and directed the original movie, will be executive producing this. But I don't know. Being executive producer usually means you put up money for it, but I wonder if he'll just like be on set for a day or two. And just, you know, they're just paying homage to him. Right. Uh, and then, like, do you think David Duchovny and uh, somebody like Michelle Monaghan uh, gives credence, Clearwater Revival, to this uh, to this remake? I mean, I mean, I like David Duchovny. I like Michelle Monaghan. But I just, I don't have any hope for this. I know you, you're leaving room for hope, but I, I'm not. I don't think it's going to be any good. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm excited about those cast members. I think they're they're great. Um, they don't they don't have they haven't been like in anything you know outside of like X Files and things like that. But <clears throat> like in something in like in a film role where I'm like, oh my god, like that was the best uh, role of David Duchovny's career. And so uh, they they just really make waves, like being in these like kind of supporting roles, and I enjoy them on that level. And the the actor that uh, that SNL made that whole skit out of um, with David Duchovny and Dermot Maroney, um, there's I think it's uh, not Dermot Maroney, but there's the other guy that's in Dylan uh, McDermott. Maybe uh, he kind of looks like David Duchovny. He's in uh, uh, the campaign. If you remember that, isn't that but he's D- Dylan McDermott? Yeah. 
the clo the clo and he's also in the Clovich killer. But so I th- that's where I'm getting at. Like I really like when they pop up in like these kind of horror movies. Uh, people who are maybe like secondary uh, or B list actors that um, make some noise in these uh, these kind of roles and movies or right. properties that I that I like. Oh, what is his name? Uh, Dylan. Yeah, Dylan McDermott. Yeah, Dermot Mulroney and Dylan McDermott. And yeah. I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, keep, keep, there's something that's not on the run sheet, but I want to bring up because it ties into the witches thing and okay. Disney Plus. Uh, Disney Plus, the streaming service, of course, doing the craft. But it looks like there's a new Hocus Pocus movie in the works at Disney Plus as well. And you're so excited about that, Brian, because you love Hocus Pocus. I love it. It's so good. Actually, I reviewed Hocus Pocus, and I mean, it's not good, but it's not bad either, but it's not good. Uh, the- it's pretty much where I sit. Like, my family, uh, like, my wife's side of the family, like, every year we will watch watch it with the kids. And, I mean, if you go on Freeform, the Freeform channel, it's, like, playing, like, 24-7, like, the Christmas story during Christmas and um, so I get it. It's it's appeal. It's fun. It's enjoyable. But you know, it's like it's like eating candy. Uh, it's like not the most nutritious thing for you. But it's just it's fine. It's tasty. Um, so uh, about the sequel news, um, they they have a good writer on it from who, Workaholics. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jim D'Angelo, Workaholics. But that's about it. It's like early stages of development, and you know. It would be awesome if they got back Midler, Parker, and Najimi for it. You know, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimi to do the roles again, which would make sense. And Disney has the money to pay them for it. Uh, and they're not doing shit right now. So, I mean, why not? Do, uh, do uh, how would they explain their aging? <laughs> the, the, it was like they oh, you do it looks like two lines of dialogue you sent us back to hell and it aged us we're trying <laughs> yeah. to get younger we haven't had kids in a long time to keep us young looking yeah the curse of the the previous movie just really did some damage to us yes yes and i mean i mean with you know the enhanced makeup effects they could probably make them look pretty decent still yeah, get those get those Marvel guys on there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm curious about it to see if that takes off because Disney Plus is coming out very soon, and we'll be getting a whole bunch of uh, new original content, including the craft and Hocus Pocus. Do you mind if I sidebar for a moment, just real quick, uh, based off of the Disney Plus stuff? It's uh, have you seen like these headlines about? Disney is pulling a lot of these retro screenings for 20th Century Fox properties like Fight Club and things like that, like from theaters where they can't play them anymore. Yes, but I saw that like if you read the fine print, it it didn't seem like it was like a like a big enough deal because it was something about going in their vault or something like that. And I was trying to read the fine print of it. Uh, Did you did you read uh, all about it? Uh, no, I was uh, I'm, I was guilty of just being the headline reader on that. Okay, Disney pulling. Okay, uh, I'm I'm try- I was trying to because like I was reading something and somebody like explained it uh pretty well. Um, and I'm I'm trying to remember what it said, but yes, I mean it's kind of like I mean why would they do this? Maybe they're trying to do 
something different or something later down the line by releasing all of this stuff. But um, I don't think it's going to affect us really, right? It won't affect people who, you know, because they, you know, Alamo Drafthouse or Texas Theater will show Fight Club and they won't be able to to do it or it's going to be more expensive or they're going to have to jump through more hoops to make it happen or what? I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to remember uh, what exactly is going on with it. But um, it I mean, we could tie this to horror by saying like, you know, any mention any 20th Century Fox property like Alien or Aliens. Um, but you know, they're, they're hitting anniversaries all the time. So I think it's, um, it's possible that they'll still do stuff with it, but I just, I, I, I imagine it's going to be harder for people to make that happen. Right. right. uh, Theaters to make that happen. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, they're, they're putting classic 20th century Fox movies into their vault. So, I mean, if you know, Disney, they have, they call the vault and they, release a movie for like a year or two, like an old movie, like Cinderella, let's say. And then after, you know, the year's up, they put it back on their vault and they won't release so it. So they're just going to be trading them out. Yeah, for like three like, or four Like, hey, years, these next yeah. two years, we got these available and then we're going to put them away. And then, yeah. So I guess that's not the end of the world, but, you know, a lot of people like watching fight club every year or alien or aliens. So I don't know, but maybe they, for those like really, really big ones, they might have bigger windows. Right. And it looks like it's only applying to theater licensing, older Disney Fox movies. Um, and it's been known about for a while. There is no announced plan to remove titles from home video or streaming. So just theater licensing is what it looks like. So I don't think it's really going to affect anybody. Um, for real, like as, okay. as far as like, oh, we can't get, you know, Fight Club or Alien. You know, I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's just like theater wise, like the, you might not be able to license to watch Aliens in the theater or something like that. So if you want to make money on it. So that's what that's what it looks like. That's what I was reading. OK, so that's a little better, right? Yeah. Yeah. You you, you put some Neil Sport on my my cut there. Oh, good. Let me blow on it. <laughs> All right, let's move on uh, to another interesting little bit of news. MGM has been uploading full episodes of the original Adams Family series to YouTube, which is uh, kind of cool, right? Yeah, uh, like any I, – I grew up watching that show. I mean, I watched the cartoon a lot more just because, you know, that, that was my interest. But I did watch – the Munsters, The Adams Family, Leave It to Beaver, and I Love Lucy on Channel 33 uh, when I was a kid a lot because that was on late at night. Um, so, yeah, I do have very fond memories. So any chance to have like any beloved property be more accessible is a, a thumbs up. Yeah, it's called Halloween with the Adams Family, and you can watch you know the two seasons that were on. Uh, I guess you can buy on YouTube the whole entire series for 20 bucks. But there is a bunch of select episodes for free on YouTube as more, as well. So um, I feel like over time, like it'll just be like, hey, it's only available for like the next ten years, and then who knows like how things will shift. 
Um, so it's not like a forever thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. And so I'm, I'm on YouTube right now and I'm looking at the episodes they have and they're, they're getting like between 40,000 and 300 and a thousand views so far, like for the full episode. So people are definitely taking advantage of it. I mean, it looks like for free one, two, three, four, five, well, about 15 episodes that you can watch for free. So not too bad. Not yeah, too bad. Yeah. I like when, you know, stuff like that happens. Like, pe- you know, like a new generation that's never seen the old Adams Family that can just are on YouTube. They go like, oh, let's watch this. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Moving on. Neil Blomkamp. I have, I don't know if it's a hate-love relationship with this guy or if it's just a hate-hate relationship, but Neil no, Blomkamp. No, man. It's all love. Chappy. <laughs> she. Uh, Neil Blomkamp, filmmaker, has a new horror film titled Inferno. Sounds awesome, right? But then you read that it's starring Taylor Kitsch. Ugh. What? Now I don't want to see it. Why are we taking the worst actors and putting them in this movie? He was good in that Waco uh, film. Which Waco film ser- was it? That miniseries? Oh, I the David Koresh one? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, he was good in that. So uh, there's a little more promise there, but yeah, I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I just haven't liked any of his like mainstream works, like Battleship. Uh, did you like John Carter? I, I, you know what, I actually enjoyed John Carter for what it was, and yeah, you know, I think the studio really, Disney really fucked it up by marketing the way they did it. Yeah. Um, because they that planned to be like a big franchise and yeah. it was not because it made no money. Yeah, poor Andrew Stanton. Yeah. Um so uh it's not a complete waste. Uh I, I'm I mean, it would be more exciting if there was like a, a a more consistent actor there, but uh I I don't think it's as bad as we think it is just yet. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean Neil Blomkamp has done one good movie and that was True. district nine. That was Chappie. <laughs> was it Chappie? Was it? <laughs> was it? <laughs> um, district nine. I mean, it changed. I mean, God damn, that movie is so good and I'm still waiting for the sequel um, because they hint at a, a great sequel. And then from then on, he hasn't really released a whole lot, but he's like flirted with stuff like alien and RoboCop. Robocop and stuff like that, and it never got off the ground. And now this movie, this new movie, is a science fiction horror film uh, called Inferno. And I'm really, you know, I want to be excited for it, but I don't know. I don't know if I trust Taylor Kitsch. I just, I just feel like it's just bland acting, kind of like uh, I, I don't know. I, I didn't see the Waco thing, and I know Taylor Kitsch was in True Detective. Um. He wasn't that great in True Detective. Right. Uh, so. But yeah, it just depends on the character. I really think he can as- excel if the character is good. But uh, Camp has only written like these like action hero types. <sighs> yeah, I, I don't know. And you know what? Do you know the Do you know the thing for this movie is what the what the the log line for this is or what it's about? Is it going to be about social divide? Maybe. Like so Inferno, Taylor Kitsch will uh, play a cop who is called to investigate a seemingly ordinary murder in 
the New Mexico desert. And the arrival of the FBI confirms that something much bigger is happening, perhaps extraterrestrial, uh, meaning there will be a showdown between... It's going to be a soft sequel to District 9. See, that's what I'm thinking. Like, what if he does, like, an M. Night Shyamalan at the very end? It's like we, we see, like, a District 9 alien or something like that. Yeah, and it's like, they, they finally made their way over to America, and, and it's, uh, a di- you know, it'd be really cool if it's a different alien species, and then they're like, we need to call in our troops in South Africa to help and it's just like an alien war dude how unbelievably cool would that be because if they do that and they do like the m night thing they did with unbreakable and split and glass oh my goodness i think that would be unbelievably good and it would work for neil blomkamp because he hasn't made any good movies since district nine oh i get oh, excited man, you right sound now like you're rubbing your nipples over there i am i'm getting excited for this and uh, I mean, don't you want that to happen? Like, why? Of course. And I'm yeah. I'm so curious as to why nobody has done the M Night thing yet. Like, with yeah, I think movies. it would work for Blomkamp just because he was he's like in a very similar boat with his filmography as uh, M Night was, and so the idea is to like once you start small, and then you got that trust, you win their trust, and win the audience's trust, and then you can go big with the next one. Oh my goodness! I'm, I'm, pl- I please if 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 you listen to Neil Blomkamp, do this. Add that extra scene at the end, <laughs> and we we want we we want this to happen because we want more District Nine. Oh yeah, my but goodness. but but do it like do it like low key and and uh, not to shit on Prometheus for doing a similar thing, but I think. It, it could probably be way more successful if uh, Blomkamp did it. Right, but we knew like what Prometheus was. Oh hell yeah! Like yeah. we knew Prometheus the, 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 was the an alien movie. Space jockeys. Yes, yes, we we knew what it was. Uh, but this one, like, it could be just you know, kind of like a noir horror film with like a cop and like an alien type of thing. But yeah. please be something bigger. <laughs> yep. I'm in. So uh, I just I just psyched myself up for this. I don't know why. Yeah, you 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 were not looking forward to it at all, and now we've like wrote it ourselves, and we want to see that movie. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. All right, uh, let's talk about this new show on Netflix um, called Haunted. It is uh, in its second season. Uh, it's produced by one of our good friends, David Price. Uh, Haunted. It's out on Netflix in time for Halloween right now, seasons one and two. And it's it's an interesting and a really kind of cool um, pitch as far as like it takes real people with real stories of, like in the horror realm that have like have seen like ghosts or demons or have been in contact with something like that and they tell their story with their family and friends around and then there is like a Hollywood style uh budget of reenacting it and a lot of the episodes are kind of haunting and eerie just like the show is called haunted but the season two, um, I believe Preston and I watched the second episode, which is getting a little buzz, uh, which is about a nurse. So I know, Preston, you watched it, right? What? It, I'm curious on what, what you thought about it. 
Um, right away, I was thinking of Nightmare, the nightmare that uh, the director of Room 237 did, where he used like cinematic technique while uh, having like the documentary elements and the dramatizations. But it has, as you said, like this kind of like film like really good production value uh, throughout. And they have like the, the good lighting that's that that not like I don't know what channels like you can go on like even uh, what's his name? Ozzy Osbourne's son has like a TV show and they're, they're all bad. Um, and you feel like the people are getting paid to tell these like shitty stories or what could be haunting stories. But this one, because the way they're shot and the emotions that are there, unless they're like really incredible actors. Um, but like specifically in this nurse episode, you know, you're getting these young, these women to tell their stories, their experience of being at this evil ward. And, uh, you believe them because they're like, it, they're they're tearing up and it feels authentic and they feel like they're still scared to death and everybody that's a part of that circle because it feels like are you afraid of the dark but a, a an adult version per se um, and so it, it reminded me of like you know hearing like a, a ghost story and then you know seeing it uh, done in this fashion makes it uh, live up to its title so I thought it was really well done. Uh, if I had to knock anything, I would just say maybe tone down some of the, the score stuff. But uh, I still, um, you know, like those like eerie sounds that are kind of thrown in there because I, I enjoy like we're going to get into with American uh, Werewolf in London uh, when because there's only like 10 minutes of score in that film and they use a lot of sound effects. I, I like when sound effects are like the another character in the film and they don't f feel the need to like heighten it by putting this like kind of stuff in it. Um, but overall it's pretty well done and I'd be interested in watching the rest of them. So good recommendation. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, our, like I said, our good friend David Price uh, produced it and I've seen a bunch of episode or season one and it's just, it, you know, takes place on like creepy kids or demonic entities, ghosts, apparitions. And like some of it's actually kind of scary in this nurse episode is definitely very exorcist like. And uh, you get good sound effects. Yeah, yeah good like sound when effects. when they're biting arms or when the bones are moving in weird way. It, it like amplifies and it, it it sounds worse than it, it the reality of it. But uh, it it's just it's pretty effective. Yeah, so there you go. Haunted uh, season two is out. Check it out on Netflix now. And then before we get into our next segment, I have to talk about. Uh, I was talking to Preston about it. I was talking to our good friend James Cole Clay about it. Also on Netflix that uh, came available yesterday was a new TV show called Daybreak. And it is so much fun. I really hope uh, Preston and James Cole Clay will get to watch this at some point. Uh, it, it, they are like 45-minute hour-long episodes, so it's a little longer to get through, but it is worth your time because it's just so smart and witty and funny and does 
a lot of different things in this post-apocalyptic zombie genre. And it burns down that fourth wall consistently. Even the camera does. And it's a... So well done. It's it's kind of like you're taking Mad Max, the zombie genre, Kick-Ass, and Deadpool all into one movie. And with like really good characters, Matthew Broderick's in it. Uh, it's just it's just great. And they're very self-aware in the movie. They don't uh, or in the series. They don't take themselves seriously. It's it's pretty good. And like you know, it's one of those movies or one of those shows where you think it's going to go one way and then it goes a completely different way. All the time, and I think you'll just really like it. You'll just have a lot of fun with it because it's just, I'm so, uh, it's, there's too many zombie things out there, and most of them, 98% of them are bad, but there's two really good ones on Netflix, one being Black Summer, which is scary as all hell, and then there's this Daybreak one that just came out, which is just super fun and just knows exactly what it wants to be. And I hope they bring it back for another season because it's it's kind of a big budget. And like at first you're like, okay, this seems just like a high school movie with like PG thirteen. And then like ten minutes into it, you're like, nope, this is definitely not PG thirteen. And it's not like a high school movie. It's way better. It, I don't know. I hope Preston, you will take a look at this. I will try to give it a shot in my busy schedule, but if you're very persistent, which you always are, and you got me to watch Letterkenny, it's quite possible. Except for wrestling. Still won't happen. Uh, you never know. We're, we're going to work on you with wrestling. But uh, Daybreak, I think if you give like the first episode like the 50-minute shot, I think you're like, yep, I'm in. I definitely want to keep watching this, and I think you, you'll, you'll be excited. Um, cool. So yes, that is the bloody bits of news. Uh, we'll update you more on all the news, but yes, until then, Haunted Season 2 and Daybreak on Netflix. But let's move on to our bloody question of the week, which was a super fun one. I I, uh, I had two in mind. Preston uh, made the decision on which one, and I think he chose wisely, didn't you? Yeah, I brought down the hammer. You did bring down the hammer. The Hebrew hammer, the honorary Hebrew hammer, uh-huh. Triple H style. Uh-huh. So in honor of an American werewolf in London and werewolves, the question was this week, if you could insert any werewolf into any movie of your choice, which werewolf and movie would you choose? So basically, if you could take any werewolf from any movie and put it into another movie of your choosing, which one would you pick? And also, how would it change the movie and what would happen? So, Preston, please. All right, so the werewolf I would pick, just because I don't think there's a better werewolf, in my opinion, than the one that's in American Werewolf in London. <clears throat> just because, you, can, I mean, it reads right away that it's a very scary thing. Um, so I would put that werewolf in uh, Pleasantville, just because <laughs> of that title alone, which is, you know, all smiles and everybody's just like 1950s suburban life. And um, somebody just needs to uh, chow down on a uh, Tobey Maguire. So make that happen, Hollywood. I, I like this. Pleasantville 2, Gone to Hell. Gone to Hell. Oh! All right. I like it. Um, the slogan could be something like, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Werewolf takes a bite out of happiness or something. I don't know. 
All right, all right. I like I it. Lost, I lost us there. No, you didn't lose us there. You didn't lose us. I, I'm there with you. I like this. I like inserting something like, because like I had three ideas, and I ended up on one. So basically, the one I ended up on, I'll, I'll say the other two, but the the one I ended up on one was the werewolf women of the movie Trick or Treat, and put them in Midsomar. Uh, in Midsomar, it was a nine-day festival, mm. and I think we only got a few of those days in the film, but their their last evening of full moon appears, and the werewolf women attack the May Queen and turn her into a werewolf. Uh, I'd be up for that. Or that, that would explain like how the bear was killed. Like They had a ceremonial fight. Ooh, and then yes. And it's just like them to like, you know, sharpen their teeth for the later on proceedings. And it just that. Yeah, that, that would be awesome. <laughs> I think that would be fun. And so my other two that I didn't go with were Teen Wolf and Space Jam. <laughs> awesome. And uh, actually the werewolf women and trick or treat going to the movie Little Women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and so many good uh options in the world yeah. so should we go to reddit yes let them let, let me uh, be showered with their uh answers we got quite a few comments on this one it was uh we were very i was very excited but uh the the one with the most votes uh was spooky geek said have Jesus turn into a werewolf in the Passion of the Christ, rip himself down from the cross, and tear everyone to shreds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that would be a way better fictional film. I know, right? It'd be so good. And somebody, <laughs> whiskey straight 80s. No, it would. It would be a way better fictional film. One billion percent. Whiskey straight 86 said, resurrect this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm dying. Oh, my goodness. So Pyro Goat came in with Jack Nicholson's character from Wolf in Avatar so that he can pee on and then murder the main character. (laughs) Please. Just marking my territory, Jake. (laughs) Pretty funny. All right. Um, Enshag said the film would be The Wolf of Wall Street, obviously. And the werewolf would be Wolfman with Benicio del Toro. Jordan, Belf- Jordan Belfort would literally be the werewolf of Wall Street who is scamming people during daytime and eating them at night. Not hmm. bad. Is there a movie called Werewolf of Wall Street? Oh, I don't know. We'd have to look at that, right? I feel like I've known that title before. <laughs> it's good stuff. I don't know. We, we, let's look that up. Is there is there a werewolf on Wall Street? And it and if there is, is it uh did it come out after the movie? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to look. Are you looking it up? Yeah, I'm looking it up. It doesn't look like there is, but uh, man, uh, I feel like I've seen something, or maybe I've seen like jokes online about it, um, like turning uh, horror, uh, regular movie titles into horror titles. Okay. All right, all right. But that's a good that's a good idea. And uh man, I re- I did like Benicio del Toro. Like that was such perfect casting for a Wolfman movie. It's just man, that one shit the bed. It did, but yeah, he was good in that. Um fucking skipping rocks with Emily Blunt. That was a goddamn. <laughs> All right. Uh 
Chang Chang's China Buffet <laughs> said Wolf Cop in Superbad. <laughs> that yeah, that would be awesome. That would be so good. <laughs> Just imagine McLovin running oh, around with goodness. Wolf Cop. Ah, it would be good. All right, Chupadoop said the one where Chandler goes on vacation to London and bring brings back a curse. And I don't know if he's is he referencing yeah, he's friends. Referring to friends. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Craig Hobson lives said David from American Werewolf in Lon- London inserted into Titanic the scene where DiCaprio and Winslow are on the bow of the ship turns into an epic last stand after the werewolf chased them there. The werewolf wins. <laughs> All right. I feel I would like to see a lot of movies with Leo DiCaprio with a werewolf. I, I'm just <laughs> imagining it going. Also, another bear fight. Going up against the bear and revenant and saving his ass sooner. Oh my goodness! I mean, I think since the bear rape attack scene on DiCaprio, I think he just needs to be with animals the entire time. I don't know, or fighting animals. I would like this. And he's a wolf. Yeah, DiCaprio. What are you doing with your life? Get into werewolf movies. Um, art to life. It's too too busy with bounty law. Yeah, that's what you <laughs> I and what what what's the other one? What's the Nazi one? Oh god. Damn uh, it. <laughs> if you would have asked me like a month ago, I knew like all of them. Okay. All right. Well, we'll come back to it. But Art to Life said the Princess Diaries, she becomes Princess of Geneva, uh no, Genovia, but everyone there is a werewolf and mauls her to death. Okay. Um that's not a good one. That's not a good one. Let's see. Meh, 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 meh. Okay. Jason's Dead said, I'd put the weirdly uh, portioned werewolf and dog soldiers into the movie You're Next. I'd like to see that main character become an even more badass and kill all the wolves. Mm. Okay. I can see that. I, I, I like it. Um... Space Zombie 666 says, replace Keanu and John Wick with any lichen from Underworld. Remove the guns and have all the assassins trying to kill him using hand-to-claw combat. Okay. <laughs> Ginger from Ginger Snaps is now on board the Titanic from St. Ridley. Um, yeah, there, there's more, but uh, well, those were the, 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 the first few were the best ones. I do think the Jesus one uh, was pretty great, and Wolf Cop and Superbad were pretty good. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Those are good. Those were the best ones. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll post the Reddit uh, thread in our post for the podcast, so you can see all of them. And if you would like to let us know what your choice for a werewolf into any movie would be, please email us at mybloodypodcast at gmail dot com. But now. On to my bloody recommendations, where we recommend a movie, new, vintage, old, that we want you to see and watch. It's worth your time and money and feelings. Preston, what is your recommendation? My recommendation is a movie that I've been eager to talk about, and uh, Brian already knows it because I brought it up to him uh, last week, But and this is 1974's From Beyond the Grave. Ooh. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I am not, as I've said before when we've done horror anthologies, uh, I'm not a huge fan of them. I, I do like Trick or Treat. Um, I'm just, you know, creep show. You know, I, I like one, criticize the other, and there's just very few that I love 
all the way through, and then they have a really good narrative uh, thread throughout that kind of brings them all together and makes it fun and exciting. And uh, this is one of them. Came, yeah, as I mentioned, it came out in 1974. It's directed by Kevin Connor, who did Motel Hell. Um, <clears throat> it's got an incredible cast of like Hammer Greats, uh, Peter Cushing, uh, Donald Pleasance. Um, oh, what's that guy's name? Uh, David Warner. Uh, he, he was in like a lot of movies that I've watched uh, over the the past month, uh, including The Omen, the original Omen. Uh, he was the uh, Mr. Locks uh, or whatever his name is uh, from uh, Billy Zane's character's uh, right-hand man in Titanic. Um, so really good cast. And there's four stories in one epilogue that kind of, you know, as I mentioned, brings them all together. Um, so each of the stories are really great. Uh, I can't remember like what order they happen in. And so I don't want to spoil like, like, um, uh, how it hap like how we get from one thing to the next, just cause it's fun to figure that out as you're watching it. But to give you some sort of, uh, you know, little bit to chew on here, um, uh, it begins with Peter Cushing owning this, um, like antique store and it has to deal with people being dishonest with him. And then like hell comes out or invades their life. If they're dishonest with him about uh, like, Hey, I want to buy this thing and they switch the price tag or try to lowball him. And then he's just like, you know, I'm so desperate for money and uh, I'll take the deal. And just, if anybody's shitty to him or has like uh, malicious intentions with the objects, um, there's hell to pay. And each of the stories and like what happens in each one of them is just really well done. Um, some of them may be like familiar, but their way that they're carried out very similar to American werewolf in London, that there are certain like, cliches that happen but uh the way that it's handled uh is unique and different and so that's how this film is it has uh the first one dealing with uh a mirror that causes somebody from beyond the grave to uh kind of like psychologically torment uh the person who bought it into murdering people and then uh, the next one, um, I'm trying to think of everything. Uh, one involves like a, a door, um, like this, like crazy, like from the haunting of Hill house kind of door. And, um, they, this couple wants to put it in front of their pantry to have like a very unique look. And then, uh, they make wishes about like what sort of room they would like to have on the other side. And then one day, the husband opens it and there's this room that's as the wife described and, uh, things begin to happen. Um, so there, each one <clears throat> is a lot of fun. I really like the one with Donald Pleasance. Uh, his daughter's actually in the film too. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, they, they just find like really unique ways to, uh, make the genre feel fresh. And each one of them just like really is spooky on its own and great. And then uh, by the time like everything like comes together in the end, I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. And it should be like a bigger Halloween deal. And for some reason, it's not. It's just kind of like falling off uh, people's radars. So I'm hoping to put that back on your radar or put it on your radar 
at all. Um, so yeah, from from Beyond the Grave, uh, Warner Archive just put out a release of it uh, just this month, so you can watch it uh, pretty easily. Like, what's great about Warner Archive is they're the kind of company who is like shut up and play the hits. Like, uh, they don't really pack their discs release with like bunch of special features and things like that. They just like let's just have the movie maybe occasionally have like a film scholar commentary or a trailer or something like that. But for the most part, it's just like let the movie do all its work and, and, and they're affordable. And so, yeah, you can go find that on the internet somewhere. Just type in from beyond the grave, one archive, you can find it pretty easily, or I'm sure you can watch it maybe on YouTube or something like that, but it's, it's really good. And I hope that you can watch it over the Halloween season. There you go. From Beyond the Grave. Good recommendation, good buddy. Yeah, I love that one. All right. Mine, uh, in line with American Werewolf in London, is another werewolf movie from the same year, 1981. Oh, not, not, not American Werewolf in Paris. No, no, not that one. No, this is Wolfen. Wolfen. I love Wolfen. Such a good movie. God damn a good movie. And... And it takes place in New York and kind of climaxes almost on Wall Street, which we were talking about earlier. Stars Albert Finney, Gregory Hines, Edward James Olmos, Tom Noonan, yo, James Horner did the score. Oh my God. And it's basically about a cop in New York um, who is like trying to figure out this series of murders, who's doing this series of murders. And a lot of people think it's animal attacks, but then you find out in kind of a Preston favorite movie, Pet Cemetery type of way, there's an ancient Indian spirit yes. uh, that turns people into werewolves. And uh, it is a werewolf. The Wolfen Pack is, ha- yeah, is happening. It's, it's the good version of Twilight. <laughs> yes. Minus the, the yes, the good version of Twilight. Uh it's actually a really good movie. Um and it just well done. The visual effects are really good. It's won a bunch of awards for sound editing and sound effects and other prizes like that. Um horror films, uh stuff like that. It's been doing best actor, best director, best writing. It's a damn good movie from nineteen eighty one, same year as American Werewolf in London, but I am but I think Wolfen doesn't get the limelight like American Werewolf in London does. But Wolfen I think is a damn good movie. And also Tom Waits is in the movie too. God damn, this movie just gets better and better as I talk about it. Um, but yes, this actually was released a couple months ago uh, through Warner Brothers on Blu-ray as well. So please pick up a copy of this movie called Wolfen. Go see it. Seek it out online just any way you can. Uh, it's also it's, a Warner Archive release, so you can get it through them too. Yes, yes. We did not. We didn't plan this, folks. Uh, originally from Orion Pictures, which has recently come back into the fray. But uh, yeah, damn good movie. Cop. Uh, noir, thriller, horror, wolf and pack, uh, and you know, you'll see low key too, like also not in your face kind of, uh, werewolf movie. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy like all the mythology behind it. It's really great. It's good. And, uh, I think, uh, at one point Dustin Hoffman wanted to be the lead actor in it, but it didn't work out. So, yeah. So he came back and did uh, Wolfman with Antonio Banderas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Isn't he in another wolf movie? 
Who? Uh, Dustin Hoffman? No, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins? Oh, oh wait, wait, did you mention him or, or did I just like hear that? Did you say Dustin Hoffman? I said Dustin Hoffman. I said okay, Albert so Frank. I got my actors wrong. Sorry about that. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins and Dustin Hoffman. They're the same, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, those are our bloody recommendations. Please check them out. Beyond the Grave. From Beyond the Grave and Wolfen. But now, on to our main topic of the day of the podcast of episode 70 slash 69.2. An American Werewolf in London. Oh my gourd. What an amazing movie. It just was released by Arrow Video in a badass collector's edition. We're going to talk about that later. But this movie, directed by John Landis, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, gave us movies like Three Amigos, Trading Places, Blues Brothers, Animal House, this movie. Coming to America. Coming to America. Michael Jackson's Thriller, which we'll talk about a little later. Uh, yes, it starred David Naughton, Jenny Agutter, Griffin Dunn, and John Woodvine, and it is one of the earlier films uh, being released August 21st, 1981, that mixed comedy and horror together very, very well. The uh, movie was made about on a $5 million budget back then, and it ended up making over $60 million. Not a lightweight whatsoever. So, uh, Preston... I mean, I remember seeing this movie growing up. I know you probably saw this movie growing up, and you probably watched the Arrow video again already. Mm-hmm. Does the movie still hold up? Is it still any good, or has it lost its uh, lost its transformation? Has it lost its its goodness? Um, I, no, I still think it's one of the best horror films uh, that's out there. I did manage to watch it with my wife. I convinced her um, because at this time of the year, especially as we're getting closer to Halloween, it's like you got to watch those ones that uh, are they're, that are like the classics, like Halloween or classics in our house, the guest and stuff like that. Um, it follows. Um, so I, she had never seen it before. So she watched it with me and she was really into it the entire time. I think she got a little bit, uh, critical at first because, you know, when the two guys, they're walking through, uh, Rome, right. And in the country. Yeah. They're they're walking in London, the moors of in Yorkshire. Okay. Um, so they're walking in the countryside and then they're having like this, like funny banter back and forth. And then one of them says, um, um, something about, ah, I'm going to fuck this girl and she's going to have no say in the matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, of course does that does not work in 2019, but, um, so funny still. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, still like, you know, minus that one joke, but it, there's just so much about it. That's so funny still and timeless. And, um, I think if I had like one thing and we can probably get into it a little bit more later, I think it's just like the final frame of the film, like how we're left feeling with the movie, which is a big thing that we can get into detail with. But I think overall it's just surprisingly well done coming off a schlock um, for him to create a film like this, which was like his pretty much his passion project for many, many years uh, before uh, actually making this movie. John Landis, right? 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he did he did schlock, and then at that point he wanted to uh, do uh, this film, and it's been like in his mind. And if you watch like the extras of the Arrow video, there's like this great documentary on there uh, that's been newly commissioned by Arrow Video. Uh, he talks about like how like where his inspiration came from, like seeing these gypsies while filming uh, Kelly's Heroes. Right. Right. Um. Um, so there's really cool stories on there and then, uh, how we developed it and how it like changed over time. And then how we feel like how it impacted, uh, pop culture. And so, uh, yeah, I think it holds up pretty, pretty incredibly well. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, I agree with Preston. It holds up very well. I, I still love this movie. It's one of the best horror films out there. Uh, full stop. Um, it's, it, it's just damn good. And it still it, like visual effects wise is excellent. Still better than any CGI bullshit that they do now. Um, and thanks I mean, to the, Rick. That, that transformation scene is still talked about pretty heavily, today. uh, t- today, um, for being, you know, like two minutes long and just slowly watching this guy, In pain, uh, change and you, you just like feel yeah. every bone in his body popping and you feel like your bones are popping and it's just it's uh and and the way that they did it and just like letting it sit there and let the camera stick there uh, stay there and you watch his hands grow and his ankles and his his legs and um yeah it's it's, good shit um so if, if for those of you who don't really know about the movie american world from london very briefly it basically follows at the start of the film, two college kids from New York who are backpacking across Europe. They're walking on the countryside. They end up in a local pub called The Slaughtered Lamb. They notice like a five-point star on the wall, and they ask about it, and the pub people, the patrons and the bartenders are like, you know, fuck you, get out, don't ask about this. They leave. They start walking. They start hearing howling in the distance, uh, and they get attacked by a, uh, an, a werewolf, uh, you know what it is, but you don't really see it. Uh, one of them dies, the other lives, and then from then on, it's kind of like a romantic comedy, but then uh, the friend who's alive starts to see visions of his dead friend in various forms of a demon, a werewolf, and even Nazi werewolves. It, it's it's crazy. It all kind of climaxes in the big city uh, where uh, a, the werewolf is loose. And, oh my goodness, it's so good. And just mixing like this romantic comedy and comedic elements with the horror is it, just like pitch perfect, I think. Uh, is, it, is that kind of like how to explain yeah. that movie? Yeah, that's a good description. That's yeah. A good, yeah. So it, it, there's, I mean, but so that's on the surface level, but there's also like PTSD and grieving process that's going on in here as well. Uh, and relation, new relationships, I think, uh, and then coming to closure and everything uh, all packed in uh, into the subtext of this movie. And it just, it just works. It just, it works on every level, I think. So I think, you know, if why why do you Preston? Why do you think this movie works perfectly still to this day? 
Um, I think, uh, as you just said, like it just has a lot more on its mind. And I think, uh, some of the best horror films in my mind are ones that have, that keep it dead simple, have good characters, but also have a lot underneath the surface. And so, as you said, you know, you have like these thoughts of PTSD kind of, uh, incorporating into the storyline and then, uh, the grieving process and just, this idea of like facing death and what sort of toll and being scared of it. And, um, that, that, that whole dynamic between the two characters, one being alive, the other one being dead, but one of them being the one that's alive is, uh, about to turn into a werewolf. And so, uh, just, uh, you know, are, do you have that ability to pull the trigger before hell breaks loose and hell does break loose? Um, and, in incredibly terrifying and really well executed ways. Um, so it's just, uh, yeah, it's just like a lot of those thoughts are, uh, I think are universal. Like, uh, they've entered a lot of people's minds over the years. And the fact that just this, what could be a seemingly, uh, throwaway B horror movie, uh, just has, as I mentioned, you know, a lot going on in its mind. I think, um, the fact that it's just operating on simplicity like uh, or minimalism, too, with uh, like this kind of Jaws effect, you know, where it just has like really good characters and the way that uh, these characters move about in their day to day lives are fascinating and they feel real. And so we can imagine ourselves being in their shoes. And I think that's what makes it work so incredibly well. And then once the shit hits the fan, so to speak. Um, it's terrifying. And so like this, it, it takes its time to raise those stakes. And, um, as I mentioned earlier on with, uh, not having a whole lot of music there, it has like this no country for old men kind of thing. Cause no country for old men didn't really have, it didn't have a score. It was just wind and atmosphere sounds. And so when you have, shots of the werewolf roaming around the subway streets or the subway uh, walkways and things like that and tunnels. Um, it's, it's terrifying to just, you know, cause at this time John Landis was doing like experimenting with like the, the steady cams of back then, which you know, they weren't like super steady, but they have that kind of like rigid kind of effect that still feels like it's, it shouldn't be smooth. It should be feeling like you're running around, but not to the point of Cloverfield where it's like completely nauseating. It's, uh, still jarring. And, and then you just get quick flashes, which is why I love it. Um, cause I, I, you know, Steven Spielberg was scared of showing the shark in its entirety. Um, at all at once, like even mechanically speaking, because you would see like the backside of it and you'd be like, Oh my God, that's fake looking. And so the fact that, that it's so it's shot so quickly, like they're quick edits, like even, uh, the best scene of the film to me, just because it's so unsettling is, um, you know, when, when the werewolves like just left the, the porno theater and it's just, killing people on the streets and then all these cars like start running over pedestrians. Um, and you're like, Holy fuck. Um, it's just, uh, in the flashes of that, like even seeing the werewolf walk on all of its, uh, hind legs, uh, just all four. Uh, and it's real quick. You don't see like the back half of it, which is, you know, like Rick Baker, like functioning the thing. Um, 
it's just extremely effective that it's just, you know, it keeps it simple, it's minimal, and it's incredibly effective. Yeah, no, it's completely effective. I mean, those last several minutes, even like, I love that he put the werewolf in a subway uh, hall because like, it's like all white tile around the subway tunnel. And there's no way to escape except either go run from it and you can't outrun it or go towards it. And it's just like, that's a scary feeling. And from the perspective of the wolf too, and it's just, Oh, it's so good. But then like, you know, like Preston said, you also like, if something like this happens, it's not just the werewolf. It's like the humans that are like killing other humans by trying to get away by stampede or, you know, it just all bets are off. Yeah, even like how that whole town like operates where that slaughtered lamb place is is like really fascinating that um you know like it's the the two guys like entering the bar and they have that 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 cliche moment of like uh, two out of towners they come in like a, a western and then the whole bar goes quiet until they kind of welcome them in and then they get they stick their nose out there too much and then uh, they get the boot um and then, but then some of them feel guilty for knowing like what's going to unfold for them, uh, for being out there. And then others are like, we got to save them. And so like that whole conflict is really fascinating to me. And then also looking like at the, the classes between this countryside and London itself and just looking at that and it's, uh, parallels and, uh, uh, how do you can compare and contrast it? Like it, it seems like the countryside, you know, it's like behind it, uh, behind London and the way the views of the world, and so like that that whole thing just is so so surprising that like that those elements are just sprinkled all throughout this film, um, because you know, as I mentioned, you know, American Werewolf in London, you just have a you have a notion of like what a preconceived notion of what it could be, and then it ends up just kind of uh, going against your expectations. And uh, becomes something much, much more. Yeah, um, it does. It, let, let's let's talk about this. This you know, we, we mentioned like the comedy and horror aspect of uh-huh. it. I think some of the comedy in it is just like kind of like brilliant. You know, almost like realistic comedy of like this guy obviously has a problem and nobody believes him. And like doctors, like it's just some sort of mad dog or it's you know it's just, just I, I don't know. It's, and I think like part of it is like the guy getting in a relationship with this nurse and like being excited to have sex with her. And then, you know, the transformation scene happens and it's just like completely <laughs> oh, the opposite of having a good time. I think, I don't know. I just think there's like a very comedic element to this. Don't you think? Yeah. Um, John Landis has described it as like, this is a horror movie with comedy, uh, with the comedy aspect to it. And, um, yeah, like it feels it's almost like the kind of comedy that you have with like modern or the Marvel films now, at least the ones that are good, you know, like it can be thrilling and and have really great action. But it also has like these uh, kind of quippy moments that make um, that pump the brakes a little bit, but make it more engaging and fun and enjoyable characters. And I, I think that's what uh, John Landis did so well back then is that he created these really great characters and they feel real and they feel like people that you want to hang around despite their, their circumstances. And, um, yeah, the jokes are pretty great, uh, all across. I, I mean, I, I just enjoy when, um, 
you know, if you look at how what the line is in the script, it could be not that funny, but because the way that they deliver it, it's uh, so funny to me. Like just even it's something as simple as like, <clears throat> I'm a fucking werewolf for Christ's sake or something like that. Like it can just be so funny to me. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it doesn't feel the, the need to like, just, you know, throw dick and fart jokes in there or anything like that. It's just, it has uh, just the way that the actors deliver. It makes it great. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and talking about this transformation scene, what makes it so great? You know, what makes it the perfect transformation scene? Because I think before this, we didn't really see a full transformation scene. But the camera literally for like two or three minutes shows this painful as hell transformation of yeah. this guy. I mean, we're seeing his fingernails pop off and claws come out. We're seeing him grow whiskers and hair, his bones breaking and going in a different direction. And, Oh, and like he sells it completely. (laughs) Yeah. They use like syringes and things like that to kind of like show things extending. And it's uh, really well done. It's like they, John Landis took a stole a page out of, Ridley Scott's book for Alien and doing the the chestburster scene and how they don't really cut from that and they just use all these smoke and mirrors to make it possible and you just don't get that sort of effect that much anymore and um, just you know using practical effects and because they didn't use like any computer here um, it just makes it feel more real and so spending that time two minutes straight just watching them slowly transform you know like later on it's usually like when <clears throat> a lot of movies or tv shows like buffy the vampire slayer that they, they they'll show like the transformation the first time they show it, it's like really slow because it's like the body has to get used to going through that process and then after that it's like real quick you know they can jump in and out of it um <clears throat> and uh not like a transformers movie where you see like every single robot transform over and over and over again and it gets very tedious um so this one just for having that one big scene uh is great and they do it again in the the porno theater which is played more for last because this guy's like making all these like moaning sounds and you know people could be like oh my god that guy's jerking off in the theater um (laughs) yeah um, so the, it just finds unique ways to kind of, uh, do it, do it again, uh, go through the transformation, which I only think it's the, those two times. Um, and so they, they don't, they don't have to do it like, you know, back in the day if they had like, you know, Wolfman or whatever, and they can just do like a quick cut. And then you just kind of, your mind has to, uh, fill in the blank for you a little bit. And the, the, the fact that. John Landis illustrates this for us, makes it quite terrifying and doesn't need to be so in your face. Uh, once it happens, it's, it, it still, uh, pulls the curtain back when it needs to and still remains. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep saying effective. So it's good. No, it's effective. And so let's talk about this ending. Let's talk mm-hmm. about this ending. So, at the end of the movie, which is so perfectly done, you know, we talked about uh, him turning to the werewolf, going on the streets, wreaking havoc and everything. So the werewolf is cornered in a back alley and his girlfriend uh, comes up to him and tries to talk him down. Like, say, Yeah, it's like, the King Kong moment. Yeah, like, David, David, I know you're in there somewhere. And like the werewolf kind of like 
stops he comes calmer for a little bit uh yeah you can see it in the eyes yeah like like oh she he the werewolf recognizes his girlfriend but then the werewolf lunges at the police and her and they shoot uh him dead and basically that kind of ends the movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's very it's very cold uh so that 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 was funny uh because you know watching that with my wife who had you know again never seen it before uh i was very curious to know like how she would react to that because uh, a lot of the movies that i i tend to like um they do have like these kind of abrupt endings compared to this like need today to over explain things and then have that like uh you know those epilogues or something a little bit of padding before you exit the theater um and and then this one you know it doesn't have that it's meant to leave you on the note i don't know if i would end on a pop song um just because i it's like so cold i want it to just like be like black christmas where you're like oh fuck and it just like leaves it lingering but i, um, I, so like, but I like the pop song i think it fit perfectly with that yeah, well, he does that all throughout the movie. He uses yeah. songs with Moon, yeah. uh, Clear, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and uh, the, the song by uh, Blue Moon and things like that. But um, no, I, I don't think I would have done it that way. I would have let it lingered. I would have just like let the shot just stay there and then just have the credits come up and then just slowly back out in the streets and just like have you – sit with that thought uh, like Black Christmas. I think that's how I would have done it. I don't like that it has that pop song at the end. So that's the only thing that I don't like about it. But I do like that it ends on this kind of cold note because there's nothing really to go beyond that. Um, So just I I, I like the pop song for some reason. I think like with the comedy aspect throughout the whole movie and I think if it like – lingered and like had like a very sinister tone to it or melancholy you just like leave the theater and like oh man that sucks but when you hear like bomb 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 you're just like oh that was great <laughs> you kind of like mm, almost I, <laughs> I i think all the comedy and drama and the the thrills they balance pretty well all throughout but that was the one moment that did not uh work as well for me i i think it, it's it, it's it's just a complete 180 in terms of tone instead of like finding like a nice transition to get into that. Um, but I, yeah, there, there I, I bet you he felt pretty conflicted about doing that or, or wrestled with how to execute that properly. So I think that just comes down to individual tastes and perspectives. Um, and then us differing a little bit here, but because of like how crazy and intense things get at the end, I think it should just hang there in that, uh, in that particular tone of it being that kind of doomed note. I think, uh, that would just like leave it being feeling awesome for me, uh, just cause I tend to gravitate towards, uh, melancholic kind of endings. You're seeing Preston's emo side right now. Everything. Yeah, dark. I'm. I'm <laughs> flipping my hair like Tobey Maguire in Spider-Man Three. <laughs> I don't. I. I don't know. I like it. I because I, I mean, I get what you're saying, and I feel like if I would have watched it with like that other tone, I was like, God damn, what a downer of a movie. But then, like, to have that intense moment, and then like for like ten seconds. David's girlfriend is like tearing up 
And then you just see him dead there. And then all of a sudden, you know, you know, it's just like, it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, I, I feel a little better about it. Uh, in like from what has previously come before it. And I just think, you know, I just think it like, it just like kind of like almost like wakes you up or something like that. I don't know. Uh, that, that's what I get. I, I, re- I really like, yeah. maybe I ask because I really love that song, but I don't know. So, so maybe, maybe that d- it depends on how you res- uh, interpret the ending. So uh, from your description, I gathered that he realizes that, or that David's in there somewhere. And then at that point, like it's too late. Like uh, it, he has to fully accept everything of what his friend was been telling him the entire time that you need to, you know, die before you make matters worse. And so at that point he kind of commits police suicide versus uh, the other possible view of it, which is that he's, his malicious side is going to attack her. You know what? Yeah, that, that's that's true. And I, you know what? I always thought like you know we've seen so many movies because you know, something like this or something like Monster Squad, where even they went as far as the werewolf guy to like call a police, lock me up. I wonder like if has there ever been a movie where somebody knew there was a werewolf and they're like, please lock me up, put me in a cell that I cannot get out of for this night. You know, yeah. I mean, like outside of them doing that in Buffy, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that would be kind of like a cool thing to explore. Um, but, but yeah, it's a, a damn. But I, I like the, I like the reading of it, kind of like building on the love story. Like, I mean, that's the why. That's why I like movies like Drive, where you know, my wife will be like, oh man, I wanted them to be together, but oh no, he loves her so much. He sacrificed himself kind of thing. Um, so I, I, I like thinking of it in those terms and that's why I wanted it to end in a sadder way, because I just thought it was like, uh, it's a more beautiful moment to me to have it like that versus having an abrupt comedy moment with that song. But, uh, I can understand your perspective too. And we just have different tastes. That's all it adds up to. There you go. There you go. Um, and let, let's talk about, um, let, let, let's talk about what in, was inspired by this directly after this movie, Michael Jackson, of course, worked with John Landis quite a bit, and Michael Jackson loved An American Werewolf in London, and for the best music video of all time, Thriller got John Landis and the visual effects Rick Baker. Uh, guy, Rick Baker. Ricky Baker. <laughs> yeah, to do literally the same transformation, like even some of the same shots of the whiskers growing and the claws coming out. That's mm-hmm. all inspired by American Werewolf in London. And if you go back and watch a thriller music video in American Werewolf in London, you're just like, oh, they're just different faces, but the same shots. And it just, it works so well. And so that definitely was inspired by American Werewolf in London. Uh, and then, you know, there was a sequel where American Werewolf in Paris in 1997, nobody liked it. I liked it as a kid, but yeah, uh, yeah, you go back and watch it. It is awful. Um, I, I, I think I just like liked it as a kid just cause at that time, I think I was like six or seven or so when it came out. Um, and I just remember watching it because it was always on, on Cinemax or whatever it was. And so uh, I liked the shots of the 
them jumping off the Eiffel Tower and things like that, but uh, or even the ending of like the twist of the girl being a werewolf too. Um, but it is not scary. The CGI werewolves, uh, I mean, they look terrible. They didn't look very good then. Um, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, this is the, the ultimate way to go. Right. Um, and now, so John Landis has expressed regrets over American werewolf in London, mostly being cutting, uh, and changing sequences from the final cut in order to earn an R rating. He wanted it to be gorier and, uh, have a, a yeah like the makeup effects of yeah. uh you know his friend being all cut to shit when he, he looks awesome like that uh one of the first visits in the hospital um and then like him like eating a piece of toast or something and like going through like the skin of his cheek or something like that uh which could make it more disturbing right right um and then we have to talk about uh so John Landis's son, Max Landis, who's done a bunch of kind of cool projects, but at some point a couple of years ago, he uh, had two announced... two years ago. Yeah, two years ago, he announced that he was uh, remaking his dad's movie, American Werewolf in London. He had completed the script, or the first draft of the script, but nothing has come out since then, so I am not... Well, he's faced a lot of allegations, so uh, I don't think it'll be happening. Well, you know, you think that, you know, with that, but, like, why would Hollywood stop making it, just replace Max Landis with somebody else, you know? Unless... Yeah, I, I, I'm sure it'll happen at some point. That I mean, they're going to remake it. I mean, it's really good... Uh, source material to work with material to work with. And so, uh, yeah, I, it, it's inevitable, but, uh, yeah, I just don't think Max Landis is going to be making it. Yeah. I, I, not, not at this point in time. However, uh, I, I mean, I'm curious to see his take on it or at least his script. Um, yeah, because when, uh, he came to Dallas in like 2014, I think you and I interviewed him. Um, and then John Landis was there getting like an honorary award. And then Max was there to support his dad. And I think they hadn't seen each other in quite a while. And so Max came with like his thriller jacket and everything. And, uh, when I had talked to him, I was just curious about like his artistic influences and if, uh, any of that maybe came from his dad. And and so he just said that his tastes are so polar opposite of John Landis and his dad. And so, uh, I just found it like, like my ears perked up a little bit when he decided to, uh, make this. Um, so I just, I was interested to see like what his take would be if they don't end up making it. I hope that the script finds its way out there. Yeah. No, I would, I would love to read it. I'm I'm curious on what it's like. So, so yeah, uh, please like seek out American Werewolf in London, and if you can do it, please just spend that hard-earned money on this new Arrow Blu-ray release because it comes with posters, lobby cards, tons of bonus features, and it is it, it looks amazing. Yeah, I love it when Arrow releases these like really thick boxes like it feels like a collector's edition versus like you know just a a mere slip cover which i do love but when it has like this like it really stands out on the shelf and is shelf jewelry and i i love its individual design and so the fact that it's just like it has the the candy shell but it also has like the goodies inside of it 
uh, really makes it great. And so I, I enjoyed watching the movie and its restoration and then uh, all the extras, which, uh, you know, they have different commentaries and there's that doc- that document newly commissioned documentary that I was talking about. So, um, yeah, everything of what you could want from a uh, collector's edition from a movie from 1981. Yeah, no, it's a damn good movie. Please see it. And I think that wraps up our 70th podcast, my bloody podcast, American Werewolf in London. Uh, yeah, I think we had a good time today. I'm a fuck. I know I had a, good, a great time. Yeah, it was. It's a, it's a fun movie to talk about. And we had some uh, juicy news and good recommendations. So uh, since this being the, the last episode before uh, Halloween happens, we hope you all have a good Happy Halloween. And, uh, Brian, do you go to haunted houses at all? So I, I love haunted houses and I always try to make it to them. Like, and, and when I say haunted houses, I, I, I want to go for like the, like the super scary ones. Like there's some like in Dallas proper that are just dumb and that I've been to before. And it's just kind of, they're not great. I want to go like drive an hour and a half out and like, go to something and i'm not talking like i do not want to take part in mckamey manor which uh it seems like mckamey manor is making news these days because they offered a twenty thousand dollar uh prize to anybody who makes it through it so far nobody has and they made a documentary on mckamey manor where it's like basically four hours of torturing you you have to sign like a 40 page waiver it's crazy you can look up youtube videos of mckamey manor it's nuts uh so i'm not into that um, where people literally torture you, but for like actual haunts and like, you have to like do stuff to get out of the haunted place. Like I'm, I'm all in and I love that shit. Preston, you and I should go to one this year. Uh, yeah, my wife and I for, cause today is our sixth wedding anniversary, oh, uh, as anniversary. we're recording on Friday, October 25th. Um, and so each year we go to a haunted house. But the one that we always go to, which uh, is is probably not the best, but we just enjoy the atmosphere of it, is Screams. Okay. Um, but a lot of it, is, which is in Waxahachie, Texas, uh, they film it on the same grounds as the Skybrough Fair. And so it just feels like a giant event. Like they have multiple haunted houses there. Um, and then they got like all the carnival goodies and things like that. And people walk around in costume, like my favorite, I even spent my, uh, my bachelor party was at this, uh, at screams. And so <laughs> me and the guys went to go to screams and then we came back and went, hit up some Dallas bars. Um, so I just, I enjoy it. I, I had, I've been going to screams ever since I was, I think like eight or seven years old, my neighbors took me. And then each year since then, I always try to make a point to make it out there. But this year we're shaking it up. Um, We're going to go to Dark Hour, which uh, we've gone to quite a few film screenings where they've advertised them. I've seen it. uh, I think it was like one of the Conjuring films. They all came out and it's like on year round and they have different uh, themes and they're like professional actors that will improvise with you. Uh, versus, you know, screams is like, you know, high school kids like looking looking for a little bit of extra money. Um, so I, I'm just excited about this opportunity, and I think I can't remember what the theme is specifically. Um, I think it's it might be vampires versus werewolves kind of scenario, uh, not not in Twilight fashion, but 
um, I hear it's actually a lot of fun. And so that saying, that seems like a good time to me. So, uh, I listened to a podcast where they were describing, like they, they did a haunted house tour of like all the different ones in the area. And that was one of the top ones. I think, um, a lot of, uh, cutting edge probably ends up on the top of a lot of people's. Uh, I remember going to that one once, uh, in high school and it was like, after my defenses were up from going to screams and one year neighbors wanted to change it up and went to cutting edge. And I was just like, eh. um, but there's a lot of floor space and then it's enjoyable. So I'm just looking to just shake it up a little bit. So I'm going to go to dark hour this year. So we're going tomorrow. So uh, nice. next podcast, I'll talk a little bit about it. Hell yeah. Let keep me posted. Um, yeah. yeah. And we will be back next week with all of our Halloween stories and everything. Uh, I'm Brian Kluger, of course. Boomstick Comics High Def Digest. Read all about the movies and everything else. Uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'm going to be having a jolly good time this Halloween week. Preston Barta, where can they find you online? You can find me as Features Editor of Fresh Fiction, which is freshfiction.tv. And um, you can also find me on the in the Ditton Record Chronicle, which is Ditton D E N T O N R C dot com. Um, I have an interview up right now with Robert Eggers of The Witch and the Lighthouse. Um, I still waiting to hear back if I can play the audio from my interview for that, and if I get permission, it'll be up on here. Otherwise, you can read the transcription of it online at, right now. It is uh it is very, very, very good. I like it. Um I Eggers, my goodness, please let's get let's get let's get it uh approved, greenlit. Um and before we go, we just have to mention real quickly, uh Tammy and the T Rex R rated cut <laughs> is coming to four K. Weird. <laughs> From Vinegar yeah, Syndrome. It, it, I mean it's cool that uh distributors outside of like the main studios is like they're, they're making the jump and that that's that's exciting opportunity for people who own 4ks so it's official tammy the t-rex is getting a 4k before lord of the rings is getting a 4k release <laughs> just let that sit in <laughs> yeah i mean there's probably a lot of movies we could list but that's a good one to start with usually like i feel like lord of the rings and like terminator Two, which Terminator Two already has it uh, in 4K. It's like the the movies that you get when there's like a new system coming out, right? So, uh, so yeah, there you go. We'll be back next week. My bloody podcast. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, all of the good ones. Uh, and we will see you soon. Happy Halloween.